risen. Christ has declared victory. Death has been defeated. For those of us that have faith in Christ, our sins have been forgiven. And we are now here living this life with Christ living in us. And God is calling us from that point on not to say, okay, we've got our fire insurance. We've been saved. Now we just sit around and wait for God to take us home, right? That's not what God calls us to at all. No, there's so much more for us. In fact, God's promises that he gives us tell us that we don't live our lives in a place where we're fighting for victory. No, because of Jesus Christ, we live our lives where we live from victory. Because he has already defeated death. He has already defeated sin. We know how the story ends, and therefore we can live as his people in victory. And so we're asking the question, what does that look like? How do we move onward? How do we take steps in victory in our lives? And the way that we're doing this is we're looking at the Old Testament book of Joshua. It may seem a little strange, but the Old Testament book of Joshua has a lot of connections. You see, Joshua was the leader after Mo- who came after Moses that led God's people, the Israelites, into the promised land. God's promises for them. And he, they led them, he led them into the promised land. And through this book of Joshua, we see these stories, this historical accounts of how God led his people into the promised land. But I don't believe just because these are historical accounts set in a certain time that they don't have practical application for our lives today. So we're looking at these stories, asking this question about what does it look like to move onward? What does it look like to take steps in victory? So today we're going to do that again today. We're going to look at Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn there. If you don't have a Bible on the back, when you walk in, there's a table there with Bibles on it. If you don't have one, go ahead and grab one from there when you come in. You can grab one right now if you want. If you don't have a Bible at all at your house, go ahead and take that with you. It's our gift to you because I believe, we believe that if you get in the word, the word gets into you, and it'll change your life. And so as we uh, go to the word this morning, let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for what you're going to do in this place this morning. We thank you for the message that you've prepared and given me in my heart. Lord, we just ask that, I just ask that you would wake us up, that you would um, move in this place, that we're here for a reason, Lord, and I would ask that all of the distractions maybe that of the coming day, all of the distractions of what happened before this this morning would just be set aside, Lord, as we go to your word. Lord, I would ask that this message isn't just some information transfer from me to the congregation, but Lord, through the power of your spirit, that you transform hearts and lives. That we leave here today different than the way we came in. And that as people see us, as we go to school, as we go to work, as we go about our week, that people see the difference that you've created in our lives through your power, and they ask us why we are different. And we get to share with them the truth, the goodness of Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask this in your name, knowing that you can do this. And we praise you for that. Amen. So as I begin today, um, I'm going to share a really personal story about another Joshua. Uh, some of you may know this story, maybe, maybe you don't, um, and I don't share this story, I don't want you to feel bad for me or anything like that, I share this story because it's, it's rooted in the reason that God's given me to share this message this morning. You see, when I was, when I was about three years old, my mom became pregnant and, uh, with her fourth child. And while she was pregnant with her fourth child, uh, the doctors determined while she was at one of her checkups that she had a heart valve that was bad. A heart valve that was 
bad that wasn't caught before, that was never noticed before, and the fact that she was with child basically uh, gave her a prognosis that was fatal. And my mom and dad, they trusted the Lord, they trusted his purposes, but at some point throughout her pregnancy, she went into cardiac arrest and her heart failed. And she was taken to the hospital and she died. And the baby she was carrying, my brother, Joshua, also died. And so a couple weeks ago, I shared with you all that I've never known life without grief. And that's true. I don't remember much about my mom. I do remember that every day since then, I felt a weight in my heart. And here's the thing. As my years progressed, as my life progressed, that pain, that sadness, that grief gripped inside of me and it began to write a narrative of lies over my life. One of the narratives, one of the lies, one of the premises that it caused me to live into was this idea that people that you love are always going to leave you, so what's the point in loving in the first place? And I began to believe that because other people, grandparents died, my uncle died, I had a friend in high school that died, and some of you, I know you know what that's like. And I began to believe there's no point in getting close to people because it's not worth it. The pain isn't worth it. And when you choose not to be intimate with people so that you don't have to get hurt, something happens on the other end. You see, because that thought life, that pattern, that assumption leads you to be isolated from people. And that isolation causes depression. And that depression causes death inside of you. And that causes you not to be able to have connections with anyone. It causes you to have issues with with connections with people. And there becomes, at least it did for me, a place where I put a wall up. And I said, okay, I'm going to let people in this far. But no one's going to be able to get past this wall. I said, it's not going to happen. Because I am not going to be hurt again. And that lie I believe, that thing that gripped my heart, that premise, that attitude, that emotion, that mindset that took a hold of me during that time even caused me to not be able to have a relationship with God the way he wanted. Because we always say, it's sometimes cliche in the Christian world, right? Jesus wants to be your friend. Jesus wants to have a personal relationship with you. And it's often assumed we know what that means. But how do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ when you can't have a personal relationship with anyone? You see, because here's what happened with that lie. And this is what the lies do in our lives. These lies, these mindsets, these attitudes, they not only strip us from what it means to live, but they strip us from the promises that God has for us. And they put up, we put up walls that keep God from transforming our hearts and lives. And the Bible has a word for this. The Bible has a word for these lies. The Bible has a word for these mindsets. The Bible calls them strongholds. Now maybe some of you, have you ever heard of David Wilkerson? He's the American evangelist, wrote the book, The Cross and the Switchblade. He started started the Teen Challenge Recovery Center. I love what he says about strongholds. He says this, most of us think of strongholds as bondages such as sexual trespasses, drug addictions, alcoholism, outward sins that we put on the top of the worst sins list. That's what we think strongholds are. But strongholds are something much worse than our human measuring of sins. 
Take another definition from Max Lucado. Strongholds are this. Strongholds are a premise, an attitude, a mindset that denies God's promises. And see, this is what we need to understand. If you go back to Wilkerson, Wilkerson's definition, a lot of those things on his list are things, are things that I tried are things that I tried to do to fill the void because of the stronghold God had gave, because of the stronghold that I was living with. But truthfully, those weren't the problem. The problem was that there was a premise, a mindset, an attitude, an affliction that actually allowed me to destroy, or that actually uh, Satan used to destroy God's promises in my life. And the bad list of sins were just things I was trying to do out of my hurt and my pain. You see, folks, my wall, my, my stronghold was grief. And I put it down. And it ruined what God wanted to do with me. And there's many examples of strongholds. There's guilt. Some of us have guilt and we say to ourselves, well, God's never gonna forgive me. I don't deserve his forgiveness. And we build a wall. Some of, gonna have to replay that. I exit out. Sorry. Some of us have strongholds as guilt. Some of us have strongholds such as self-pity. We say, you know what? God's never, no one's ever gonna love me. And you know what? Everything I try, it's it's not gonna work out. Some of us have strongholds in our lives like pride. And we say, you know what? Unless I'm the most important person or unless my way is had, I'm not gonna get on board. It's all about me, and unless I'm the person that has the say, unless I'm involved in everything, or unless everyone listens to me, I am not gonna get on board because it's all about my pride. For some of us, there's other strongholds. There's a stronghold of materialism. And materialism is just a stronghold that says that what I have defines who I am. And if I don't have the right things, I don't have the right car, I don't have the right house, I don't have the white picket fence, then I'm not good enough. And some of us have the, the stronghold of appearance that if I don't look right, then people aren't gonna accept me. And so I need to, I just need to abuse my body. That's what I need to do. And I need to abuse my body. I need to take my body and I need to look the best. I need to look the best all the time because people want me to look good. Some of us have the stronghold hold of resentment in our lives where we say, you know what, Pastor Dan, you wouldn't even bring this one up if you knew what that person did. If you know what she did, if you knew what she said, you wouldn't say this is a stronghold. But Satan can use this stronghold. And if you never forgive a person, it can be a block between you and God forever. Self-pity, we talked about that. Pride, we talked about that. Rejection, some of us have been rejected and we say, we've, we've, we have this mindset that says, I don't deserve to be loved. And we put up a wall. Some of us, it's all about defeat. We say, you know what, no matter what I do, no matter how hard I try, I always lose, so what's the point? I'll never recover. And we put up a wall. Some of us, it's performance. We say, you know what, I must be good, I must be do this, I must do that, and if I don't do that, God, God's gonna reject me. And so we're constantly putting on a performance and people don't know the real us because they only see the us that we're willing to show people because we believe that our performance means our value. Folks, we all have a mindset, we all have something deep down inside of us, this alternative script 
that plays in our hearts and our heads that changes what God says about us and it takes the promises of God and it puts a wall between God's promises and our ability to move onward. It's called a stronghold. And you know what Satan does? He establishes these walls by implanting lies in our life. And he just has to implant the smallest one. And when we begin to believe him, the lies actually become something that has power. And they become embedded in our heart and they become embedded in our mind. And in that moment, you have put up a stronghold. You know, in the Old Testament, strongholds weren't just these spiritual strongholds that we talk about. Strongholds were actually fortifications. They were walls. They were fortresses. And the stronghold, the fortress, the walls that we're going to talk about today surrounded a city called Jericho. But just like these strongholds, these spiritual strongholds that we put up around our walls to keep us from God's promises, Jericho was a walled city that kept God's people outside of the promised land. And they knew, because remember we talked about this, God's people had crossed the Jordan, and there was a river behind them, and nothing before them besides God's promises. But they had to get through these walls in order to take their next steps Onward, And I believe as we look at the story of Joshua and Jericho and see how God tore down those walls, that we'll begin to see how we can tear down the walls in our life. So I invite you to take a look at Joshua chapter 6 verse 1. Joshua chapter 6 verse 1 as we look at the story. Book of Joshua tells us this. It says that Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. You see, because the people, we already know this, the people had heard what God had done. The people had heard what God had done in Egypt. The people had heard what God had done in the Jordan. And they knew that God was leading these people into the promised land. And so they shut up the doors. And because they were shut up, no one could come in, no one could come out. But it was vital, like I said, for for the Israelites to step into the promises of God, it was vital that they knocked these doors are down. And so when you look at a walled city, when you look at a walled city like Jericho, here's a picture for you. I talked about this last week. You've got between the retaining wall and the outer wall about 17 feet, 17 feet high. And the wall, that outer wall is about seven feet wide. And then behind it, there was stone homes. And then behind that was an inner wall that was another eight feet high. And this was a walled city. And so the only way you could take these in battle, and maybe you've seen it in movies, but the only way you could take cities like this in battle was, first of all, you could go over the wall. So you could take ladders or you could build ramps and and roll them up to the wall and take over that way. But the Israelites didn't have those. Or you could take, you could go under it. You could dig a tunnel and go under it, right? And go into, but they didn't have the ability to do that. You could go through it. You could use a ram and go through the wall, right? And you could, you could mark a, put a big a hole in the wall like we see there to go through it. But they didn't have anything for that. They could lay siege to it. They could surround the city and then just keep anyone from going in or out until the people starved. And then they would surrender, But that wasn't going to be a way that we could do it here either because guess what? As we saw from verse 1, the people voluntarily did that. So there was a good chance that the people in Jericho had more supplies than the Israelites did. 
The only other thing you had was possibly that you could take the city by deception. You know, you could build a horse and hide inside of it and give it as a present that they roll in. You know that story, right? You could do that, but that wasn't going to happen either. And so what was going to happen with this walled city? Well, thank God the Israelites had God on their side. Verse 2, it says this, And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. God reminds them as they're staring at this stronghold that you don't fight for victory, you fight from victory. You've already, I've already given it to you. And so this is what's going to happen. This is how this is going to happen. You shall march around the city, all of you men of war, and you should go around the city once. This you shall do six days. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you should march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. So this was God's big plan. I mean, can you imagine? This is so senseless. I know we, we're church people, some of us, and so we know this story. But just, you know, think about this. This is so senseless. Think about Joshua, right? He's staring at the city. God, God reveals to him his plan of what's going to happen. And then he goes to the 40,000 soldiers, and he says, okay, here's the day, right? We're going to take the city. And they're like, great. We've got our shields ready. We've, we've you know, we've I, one, of the, one of the guys is like, yeah, I've been working on some ladders, right? And the other guy's like, I sharpen all the spears, I sharpen all the swords. And Joshua's like, ah, we're not going to need any of that. This is what we're going to do. We're going to all line up, and we're going to walk around the city one time, and then come back to camp. Yeah. Six times we're going to do this. But wait, 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 there's more. The seventh day on the Sabbath, we're going to do it. Seven times. Think about that. Does that not sound ridiculous? That's what God had planned for them. That's what he said to have obedience. And, and in this passage we see, in fact, in chapter 6, 7, the word 7 is listed 14 times. Because in, in, in the Bible, numbers aren't just numbers. M- numbers mean something. And so what God is saying to them is that you're going to do this for six days. You're actually going to walk around the city seven days. And you're going to have seven priests And by the seventh day, you're going to walk away seven times. You know in the Bible what seven stands for? It's a number that means completion. It's a number that means divine perfection. It's a number that means wholeness. What God was letting Joshua know, what God was letting the people know, was that this was going to not be a military invasion. This was going to be a spiritual battle. We've talked about that already. A battle that's won by the power of God, not by the power of God. Of men. And then God went on and it said, It shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn that seventh day, after that seventh time around, and, they, and then you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with the great shout, and then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, every man straight before him. That's what's going to happen. You're going to go in and you're going to take the city. It's interesting, you know. There's two instruments mentioned here, right? Trumpets and a ram's horn. And they had a purpose for the Israelites. A trumpet gathered people together. When the people of God, you think about it, there was a lot of people wandering, a lot of people in the nation of Israel. When they heard the trumpet, they knew that they were to assemble. And the ram's horn was blown for another purpose. The ram's horn was actually something that was blown as a symbol that the battle had been won. Now think about this. 
God told the people, I want you to go around the city and walk. And as you walk, you're going to hear the trumpet call you to assembly. And then you're going to blow a ram's horn to let everybody know that victory has already happened. Folks, this was a worship, a worship service around this city. God's plan was something completely amazing. It seemed a little senseless, but it was a plan that God had put into place. Now skip to, chapter, to verse 8. And so it was that when Joshua had spoken to the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horn before the Lord advanced and blew the trumpets and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. And the armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets and the rear guard came after the ark. And so it tells us how they lined up. They, they had armed men, they had soldiers, and then they had priests, and then they had the ark of the covenant, which represented God's presence, and then they had priests behind them. So they, or they had uh, armed men behind them. And so they walked around in this fashion as they walked around. You know what God told them to do? You know why I believe God told them to do this? Because first of all, he wanted them to know as they were fighting this battle in a senseless way, this spiritual battle, that his presence was with them. The Ark of the Covenant represented God's presence. But they also have the Ark of the Covenant in the center because, folks, if you're going to fight a stronghold, you need to have God's presence and God in the center of your plan. And so God told them to do this senseless plan. And so now Joshua commanded the people, and he said this, You shall not make any noise with your voice, nor shall your word proceed from your mouth until the day I say to you, Shout! Then you shall shout. So he had the Ark of the Lord circle the city around once. This is the first day. And they came and lodged at the camp. You see, here's what God said to the people. Just to give it in a nutshell. This is the plan that God had for Israel and for us to battle strongholds. This is the plan. First of all, you get your instructions by hearing from the Lord what his instructions are. And then no matter how senseless they seem or crazy they seem, you are called to obey what he asks, keeping him in the center. And God's plan was for them to hear from Joshua, who heard from him this plan, and to do this senseless thing with him in the center, fighting a spiritual battle with spiritual weapons in a way that was more of a worship service than it was a battle. And so the people did this, right? So this is the first day. We see it here. And the preceding passages tell us that they did it the second day. And I think probably the second day and the first day as they're walking around, the Jericho's inhabitants, the, the soldiers that are standing on the wall are looking, and they're probably mocking at him. Can't you imagine that? I mean, Joshua told him, don't say a word. Don't say a word the whole time. Just walk silently till I tell you to. So they're walking around silently, all of them in this procession, all these horns being blown. And I would imagine that the people in Jericho are shouting obscenities, are mocking them. They've never seen people fight a battle this way. I mean, folks, this is not how you fight a battle. Can we just all agree on that? This is kind of weird, okay? I know it's in the Bible. I think God's okay with that. It's a weird way to fight a battle. Nobody else would do that. So by the second day, they're probably getting mocked. By the third and fourth day, my guess is that the people in the city are a little confused. They're like, okay, so I know these people are from Egypt, and they've been out in the desert a long time. Maybe they don't really know at all what they're supposed to be doing, right? 
But the people, but I believe God's people, because they had heard from him, because they were obedient to him, because they knew they were in victory, because his presence was in the center of everything they were doing. Their faces didn't look confused. They had determination. They were people that knew that God had the power to rip down strongholds, and they were determined that the victory was theirs already. And they were taking steps onward. Though it looked like in the rest of the world that they were just moving in circles. And so I believe by the fifth day and the sixth day that as, Jer- as the Is- Israelites marched around the wall that all you could hear was silence. All you could hear was people wondering what is going to happen. And then the seventh day came. And Joshua gave them instructions before they went to the seventh day. Verse 17, Joshua tells us that Joshua told them this, that when the wall comes down, the city and that all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Now let's not forget, and if you don't need to listen back to the first uh, sermon, I would invite you to do so. These were evil people. These were child-sacrificing people, right? There were people that God had given hundreds of years of chances, I believe, to repent and to follow him. And God said, when the walls come down, you need to devote to the Lord everything inside for destruction. The Hebrew word for this is actually the word harem. Harem. And it's all through this book of Joshua. It's through the Old Testament. And what devote to destruction means is it means to ban. It means to mark. It means to take something that is hostile to a theocracy, hostile to God being in charge of the nation, hostile to God's glory, and take it and utterly destroy it, to get rid of it completely. And so that's what Joshua tells them. When you take it, by, you, you by all means abstain from the accursed things. When there's something that's accursed, something that would worship idols, something that is evil, you wipe it out. The people and everything needs to be devoted to destruction because these things that are inside this wall have no part with God's people. So you must destroy them. But there's other things that aren't going to get destroyed. You see, verse 20 tells us, but the silver, the gold, the vessels of bronze and iron, they're to be consecrated to the Lord. So this is what you need to do. When the wall comes down, he's telling them, you need to go in and you destroy everything that is opposed to God. And some of the things, the good things, the valuable things that are left over, you consecrate them to God. That's what it looks like to harem. That's what it looks like to vote, to devote to destruction. And so the part of the process is two things. First of all, the wall comes down, you go in, and then the second thing is you devote the things in there to destruction or consecration. You with me? I know this is a lot of teaching, but this is what God said to them as they did this. And so verse 20 tells us, as they got their instructions, the people shouted when the priest blew the trumpets that seventh time. And it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. And then the people went up to the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. God pulled down the wall. You see, when, we, when a stronghold comes down, it has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with your holiness. It has nothing to do with your effort. It has to do with your ability to hear from God, to obey what he says, and trust in him with him in the center of all that you do, and he will pull down the walls. Folks, it's very clear from the book of Joshua, it's very clear from most of us knowing Joshua and the battle of Jericho, that this is an important part of this book, yes? And the reason is, is because moving onward requires, 
doesn't suggest, requires pulling down and overcoming strongholds. It requires it. You cannot move onward. You cannot take steps in victory. You cannot step and live into God's promises until strongholds have been torn down. And so God shows us in the book of Joshua how he did that with real physical strongholds. But what does this mean for us with our spiritual ones? What does it mean for all of those ideas, those premises, those attitudes, those mindsets that we have set up that create walls between us and living into the promises of God? Well, I think God knew that this was going to be a problem for all of us. And so in the New Testament, he tells us through the Apostle Paul. In 2 Corinthians 10, Paul says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. We don't fight wars the way everybody else does, folks. We don't, people of God always do things differently. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. So God calls to us and he says, you can't move onward unless you overcome your strongholds. And so when you live as a believer, a believer in Jesus Christ, you don't walk around. The walk could be translated live. We don't live in a way where our minds and our hearts are shaped by the way that the world does things. And though we live according to the flesh, though we live as human beings in a material world, when we fight these things in our lives, we cannot fight them with our own human ability. They will defeat us every time. We don't wipe, but God didn't give us weapons that were out of our human strength. No, God gave us spiritual human weapons, spiritual weapons that fought spiritual battles against Satan and the mindsets he plants in our heart. And those spiritual warfare weapons will pull down the strongholds, not through our power, but through his power. And when he does this, when we use these weapons, we deploy them against our strongholds, folks. This is what Paul tells us. He says, they will cast down every argument and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing, into, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So when we put our spiritual warfare and we put on our spiritual battles, and God tears down the strongholds. We take every high thing. It's interesting, that word, every high thing in the Greek is panhypsoma. And literally what it means is a mindset or an attitude. Isn't that strange? A mindset or an attitude, a human attitude that is an obstacle to the knowledge of God. A stronghold. And God says when we deplore his weapons that he will tear down the strongholds and then we take every argument. Some of the things cause you arguments, I'll never be enough. Here I am again. I promised God I would do this and it'll never be enough. Here we go again. We've been trying to work at this for years and you know what? All of our, all of our efforts are gonna go to nothing. We just weren't meant to be together. You know what, nobody ever takes me seriously. No matter what I say, no matter how I try, nobody takes me seriously. You know what, I keep putting my best effort forward and I keep failing. You know what, they all have this, this, and this. Why can't I get a break for once? You know what, it's not worth loving anybody. Because in the end, you're just gonna get hurt. And God says, this isn't the way that we live as followers of Jesus Christ. He's given us 
weapons of warfare that we take every one of these attitudes and we bring it into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Think about that. Just like Just like Joshua told the people, when the wall's torn down, you need to do two things. You need to take every single thing that is in opposition to God being in charge, and you need to destroy it. And the second thing is, the good things left over, you need to take them and consecrate them to the Lord. Folks, this is exactly what Paul's saying. That when God rips down the strongholds in your life, if you want to get past these things, you deploy his weapons against them, and then everything that feeds into this thought in your life, everything that comes out of this, your attempts to dull it with distraction, your attempts to dull it with, with pornography, your attempts to dull it with, with um, overworking, your attempts to dull it with alcohol and drugs, your attempt to, to, attempts to dull it by getting a bunch of people around you to feel bad for yourself so you can feel better. Your attempts to do all of those things, all of those attitudes, they all need to be destroyed. And what's left over, if it's not from God, it needs to be cleansed with the power and the fire of his Holy Spirit. And that which is good, that which is still in the image of God, needs to be taken and taken captive and given to Jesus and laid at his feet and say, Lord, I need you to sanctify this. I need you to consecrate this. I need you to take what is flesh and I need you to make it into the image of you. I need you to transform me from the inside out. I need you to make me brand new. And every single thought, every single emotion, every single thing that builds into the death and the lies that you tell yourself, that makes you put up walls that limit you from living into the victory that you have in Jesus Christ, folks, it needs to be given to him. This is how we step onward. And until you do it, there will be a wall. There will be a stronghold and you will never know what it means to live in victory. And you'll, though, though you're free and though you're forgiven and though you're a Christian, you're still going to live as someone who's defeated. And did you know that in this life post-Jesus, you never lose? Boy, I thought I'd get a louder one than that. Because that's what it means to be a Christian. And so we have to overcome these strongholds. We have to overcome these strongholds and they require demolition and devotion. They require demolition and devotion. Demolition through the weapons of warfare that God has given us. And I know, you know, we're running out of time here. I know you people are tired of hearing this. I do, I know it. I'm gonna keep preaching it anyway. Sorry, but I know you're tired of hearing it, but listen, I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, why would you want me to preach these things again? And he says, because, and I love me when I say this, because we're still not doing them. That's why. Because we're still not doing them. The weapons of warfare, scripture. Do you understand that the power of God's word is one of the weapons you have? Jesus himself, when he was tempted by the devil in the desert, did not use anything except God's word to make him flee. Do you understand that if you have a stronghold, if one of the things I mentioned here this morning is something that's plagued you, that this book has a verse in it that you can, you can memorize, that you can hide in your heart, and every single time the Lord or the devil comes to you and says, this is who you are. You're never gonna be this. You can speak the very words of the creator of the universe to him, to that thought and attitude, and he has to flee. It's the authority that we have in his word. 
And yet we're not in his word. Yet we spend more time watching TV, watching what Fox News, watching what CNN says about the world, rather than getting into his word and letting this be the lens in which we see things. We've got to be people of this book. This needs to be written on our hearts. Remember what Joshua was told in, one, in verse 1? Do not let the word depart from you. In chapter 1, go back and listen to it again. Hide it in your heart, and I will be with you. Folks, we have to be people of the word. We have to be people of prayer. Prayer is the way that we take spiritual energy and move it into victory. It is. It's the way we do things. It's not just offering up prayers like, Jesus, I thank you for this day. Thank you for everything. Bless the food. Thanks for my kids. Uh, Would you help me with this thing that, you know, I should have done anyway, but I've kind of let it go. So would you just kind of, you know, work a miracle and make, you know, save me again from this, right? That's our prayer life. Rather than getting on our knees, folks, if there's one of these things in your life, your knees need to be worn out. They need to be worn out. You need to get people. There's people in this church, I know it, in small groups, people that would gather around you and pray with you for this. Fasting. I wish, oh man, one of these days I'm going to have to preach on fasting. I'm just going to have to do it. Fasting intensifies your faith. You automatically, you, you voluntarily abstain from things and focus that time on the prayer on your knees that you need for God to move. And if you have a stronghold, I hope we get serious about prayer in this place. I hope we can get serious about praying for the strongholds that are holding us back. I hope we can be serious about praying for the strongholds that are holding these church back. Because there are some. And we know what they are. And that we would say this is no longer a wall that separates us from what God's promises are. We're going to be a people of prayer. And we're going to break strongholds with this weapon. And finally... I just did it again, sorry. I keep hitting the wrong button. Finally, the third one is worship. Worship. What did, what did Paul say? Or what did, what did Joshua say? I want you to put God in the center. I want you to hear from him. I want you to obey what he says. And I want you to worship. It was a spiritual worship service. They blew horns for goodness sake. And that's why we gather together. That's why we worship. I preached about it last week. I'm going to preach about it again. And I understand. Listen, love me when I say this. I understand. For some of you, you're going to say, you know what? I can't get into the song sometimes. I just don't feel it. Right? They're not my style songs. I say this with love. That's okay. We're not worshiping you. Okay? We're not. We're worshiping him. We're worshiping him. We're calling on his presence. We're asking him to inhabit this place. We're asking him to break the power of Satan, to break the attitudes, to break the opinions, to break the carnal, fleshly parts of us. And we are offering to him those things that are not of him so that he will destroy them. And we're offering to him those things that are good and holy so that he will sanctify them. So we are a transformed people that don't look like a group of people that don't know how to get along, but we look like a group of people that look and act and love like Jesus. And walls will come down. When we let him destroy things and then we devote and we bring captive every thought into obedience to Christ. And on the other side, the strongholds come down. Because a stronghold's a premise that denies God's promise. And folks, if we're gonna move onward, if you're gonna move onward, if you're gonna take steps in victory, 
Which one of these needs to go? Which one of these needs to go? This is what's holding you back. This is what's keeping you from living life with God the way he wanted to. And we've got to do it through demolition, through his weapons, prayer, scripture, worship, and devotion, taking everything that's not of him and casting it to the fire. And everything that's still of him that's been twisted by the world, transformed to look like Jesus. This is what it means to live a Christian life. This is what it means to live in victory. This is what it means to move onward. Can we pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for your people that are gathered here. Lord, we need help with this because a lot of us, I can just feel it in this place this morning, a lot of us, we've been fighting these things a long time. A lot of us, we've gotten so used to the way that we, we soothe ourselves because of these things that that's become a pattern in our lives, just to choose substances and distractions and, and, and other ways of acting and speaking because we're just trying to circumvent the, the strongholds to be able to live, Lord, and I believe there's more. I believe you have more for us, Lord. I, have, I believe that the weapons of our warfare aren't the fleshly weapons that we live in. The weapons of our warfare are spiritual weapons that you use to tear down the walls. So Lord, let us hear stories of breakthrough this week. Let us have stories of how you've torn down walls that have been built for 10, 15, 20 years. And Lord, let us be a people that deploy your weapons, demolish these strongholds, devote our lives to you, and walk in a newness and a freshness that is knowing Jesus and being like him. Father, I know you know this, but I confess it to you, if we do this through your power and strength, we'll be unstoppable. As we're a church that moves onward and forward, living lives in victory and inviting people into this great kingdom of God. We love you, Lord. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You unravel me with the melody is
split the sea so I could walk right through it. Man, whoa, that gets me. Hey, listen, I'm sorry we're a little over today. Your pastor preached too long, that guy. I'm telling you what. But before we go, uh, we can celebrate something real quick. I'm going to embarrass them and then invite them to uh, stand in the back. And uh, we got three families. We got a fourth we'll recognize next week that are joining the church officially. They've gone through the uh, process. Troy and Erica Kaler, come on down. Neither of you? Troy's here. That's good. Give him a hand. Don't make him feel awkward. <laughs> Daisy and Vito, come on down. It's not the price is right. I just feel like I have to. <laughs> right. Don, Don Moyer. Don Moyer, would you join us too down here? Yes. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Uh, for these families, some of them have been here a long time and some of them not so long, but they've joined us today. I'm giving them a book too called How to Be a Church Member. It's a great book by Tom Rayner. And uh, uh, would you give them a hand one more time as they join us? Thank you. Awesome. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask them to stand out in the lobby as you leave so you can all thank them and welcome them for being part of uh, taking this next step and being members here officially at our church. Uh, I'm having fun with this series. God's saying some really good things. I'm so thankful we could be here today. And uh, next week, invite somebody to come with you. I know what God's gonna just share an awesome thing next week. But uh, God bless you. Have a great week. Tear down those strongholds and take steps forward this week. I wanna hear stories of victory, Lord. Let's play. Let's, uh, let's do that. God bless you. We'll see you next week. <laughs>